Who's Beckistan? Where's Beckistan? Why's Beckistan? How's Beckistan? Beck is in Uzbekistan. What's going good and what's going bad? She's live from Tashkent, Uzbekistan, in the heart of Central Asia. Well, I knew you were a musician. <laughs> yes, okay. So, as you can hear, I am not alone today. I am joined by my friend, uh, Anthony Jennings who uh, we've uh, met a couple months ago here living in Tashkent, who is joining me for episode 20 of Who's Becca Stan? So we're going to expand the conversation out a little bit today and not just hear about my experience about what I'm excited about and what I'm puzzled by and how long I plan to stay, but let's hear about someone else's experience and uh, sort of weave that in with Antony's other experiences living in other countries and has, uh, in the process of writing a book that's a guide for foreigners living overseas, how to be successful. So we've got lots of ways that we can jump in here and just lots of things we can talk about. So, uh, so Anthony, get us started and give us a little thumbnail of who you are, where you're from, and how you ended up here in the lovely city of Tashkent, Uzbekistan, in the heart of Central Asia. Well, you've already said my name, so we'll forget that part. But originally I'm from Sheffield in England, but um, in 2010, so 12 years ago, I moved to China. And I was only supposed to be there six months, but uh, instead I ended up there for a year and a half. And then I left because my dream was always to live in Spain. So I went to Ireland instead. <laughs> And then I finally went to Spain after Ireland, and that was for a year, between Spain and Ireland. And then I finally went back to Beijing, because I missed it so much. Spain wasn't working out. It was there, the height of the financial crisis. So there were, they called it El Crisis. And my first day in Madrid, there was a riot going off in Sol in the centre of Madrid, and there was windows being broken, there was tanks with firing hoses and stuff like that. And then there's me with a TEFL certificate, one year teaching experience in a kindergarten in China and looking for a job. And it wasn't going to happen. So, you know, I had a couple of little jobs. I was an oral English teacher in Madrid. I was a centre manager of a school, well, a, a language school, literally no bigger than this room, which is what, five by five metres, something like that. And I was there for six months in this really small town called Olbega, which is about 3,000 people on top of this mountain. And I just realized, yeah, Beijing is where it's at, basically. So I went back to Beijing for, in total, eight years. And then I got locked out because of COVID and other reasons as well. I actually intended to leave China for six months, but I came, I wanted to go back. But COVID stopped me from going back and it came to June 2020 and I just thought, yeah, there's, there's no chance of me returning back to China. I need to find a job quick. So I just went on LinkedIn. Long story short, here I am in Tashkent and it's now my second year here now. Okay. It really is interesting that every foreigner I've met here and in any foreigner I know who's living overseas really has a story about how COVID impacted their life, yeah. their plans, where they ended up living. It's changed people's lives like completely and not just going around the bend and stuff like that. It's literally a really sharp left or right turn that people have taken. It definitely did with me. It's like I had no intention of coming here. You know, when I was offered the job here, I might have told you this already, but, um, you know, when they offered me the job, they said, okay, so it's... Um, you know, it's 7 p.m. where you are now. What are you going to do for the rest of your evening? So, yeah, I'm going to go on Google Maps and find out where Uzbekistan is because I've no idea, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, you know, a lot, like a lot of people ended up here just sort of uh, by accident or just as things unfolded, yeah. that visa laws here are pretty lenient, compa definitely compared to China right. and compared to other places that people who were 
uh, floating and on the loose could get in here pretty easily, pretty quickly, and demand for English teachers here is high. Correct. I think Uzbekistan might actually benefit from this because China's lost so many native English speakers. You know, when you live in different countries, so I've lived in China, Uzbekistan, Spain, and Ireland, and you meet different foreigners in different countries, you meet different foreigners in um, China compared to the foreigners that you meet in Spain, for example. But I noticed the majority of foreigners that were living here were from places like Dubai or Russia or, you know, Central Asia, Middle Eastern countries. Whereas the majority of people I met in Beijing were American, Canadian, Australian, South African, British, Irish, a couple of Europeans here and there. But because of COVID and because of people being locked out of China, I've met a good few foreigners now. I've met a South African person, another English person, and an American person, actually two South Africans. They all lived in China, but they couldn't get into China because of COVID. And they've all ended up here in Uzbekistan. And I'm guessing it was because at that particular moment, around May, June, July, August, 2020, it was pretty much the only country that was easy enough to get into. And believe me, it wasn't easy getting here. I could tell you, I could make a script for a blockbuster movie on how I actually <laughs> got into the country because the, the trip was a nightmare. Yeah. But now there's a lot more natives coming to the country. I'm not saying natives are better than non-natives, but especially for the English teaching sector and international education sector, it's definitely a benefit for them. Yeah. I uh, wholeheartedly agree with many of the points you're making. We could certainly go on for hours about any of those topics, but I never want to miss the opportunity to repeat this statement. Uh, China's loss is the rest of the world's gain. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, where, where they kind of maybe took this as an opportunity to clean house a little bit. Um, Do you believe that, that? You know, I... I've had the theory myself. I, I, it's crossed my mind. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's my mind just been a while, but... Um, but but they certainly have kept their entry requirements higher than any other country in right. the world, which does make raise some eyebrows as to why. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, I've met lots of people here that got locked out of China who are really who are really high quality teachers and people. Right. So it's really it really is China's loss. And it's not. It, you've got to look at the kinds of people that have been locked out. It's like in my case, I'm alone. You know, so I'm just one person. So the truth is, I'm not very special. But. There are people who have families, you know, and they were literally split in half. And, um, you know, how bad must it be for them? It's like, I don't know people personally, yeah. but I do know of people who have literally not seen their kids and their husband or their wife for literally two years now because they won't let them get back in. The only option for them was, for example, uh, my friend, you know, he went back to the States he got locked out, but his wife, who is Chinese, got locked in China. A year later, she was able to get over to the States, and now they're a happy family and everything. But that took a year. I was like, you imagine the pain and that's and the right. suffering. Right. Absolutely you know. is a hot mess. Like, I think a, a goodly number of people with dependents really, really massively inconvenienced and really, struggle exactly. on their personal lives. Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. it was my home. You know, yeah. I've been nine years. Like, yeah. I, I know nine Beijing, years is a long time. Precisely. I know Beijing more than, I know it better than Sheffield. Yeah. You know, because I don't remember Sheffield. Because also I didn't go to university or college there. I, I left, so I've not known my own city since I was 16 years old. I left England when I was 23. Now I'm 34. It's like, I know Beijing better than any other place in the world, but I can't get back. Yeah. You know? And there's really, um, um, a lot of grief that comes with that and oh, yeah. to mourn the loss of well, those like relations. It's like a death. The relationships of the friends you had there and the the lifestyle. Right, that exactly. A lot of grief goes along Even with that. Even very simple things like your favorite cafes or restaurants have, have disappeared and stuff like that. I understand yeah. that um, you know some people are suffering because they're seeing it going on around them. I'm out of the country, but I'm hearing what's going on. So it's like, well, if I do return, what's actually going to be there when I go back? Am I going to return to some bombsite, basically, or something like that kind of feeling, you know? Yeah. Like there's been a war. Right. Uh, my friends who are still in China have all commented about how 
the foreign communities where they live were decimated. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, even though they're still there, their friends have gone. And that it's really, it's it's been a, a, a grief and a death Absolutely. On either either side of the Absolutely. issue to have Absolutely. have this much disruption, um, with certainly all these vo- volumes, I, I hope that sociologists and um, bloggers and podcasters, I think, can all you know, will write volumes about you know the impact impact of COVID on on so many people's There'll lives. Be in textbooks in schools. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. In like ten years' time, probably. I, yeah. I yes, I think so. Um, so shifting the topic just a little bit, and number one, uh, when you said uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not special. Oh, I beg to differ. I beg to differ, my friend. Well, we're all special in some ways. Yes, yeah. Um, so uh, you know, as we frame up the narrative of the podcast, goes with the question: um, What are you excited about? So we'll just start that with, you know, as you ended up here in Tashkent unexpectedly, this is not what you sought out, this is not what you, you know, planned in any way, shape, or form, but you've been here, you know, um, this is your second school year. What uh, what has excited you about your time spent here? Being alone. Yeah! <laughs> okay. Well, you know, like, when I was in Beijing, I was just so busy all the time. Literally never had a minute. And, you know, actually the reason why I decided to leave for six months is because I was actually sick from being alone, you know. First of all, I had a heart attack in November. I didn't know that. Oh, God. And so I decided to go back to England and spend six months. Recuperating. Yeah. Well, actually, the plan wasn't to go to England. The plan was to travel. You know, I was going to... I went to Spain to visit my granddad for a month. And then... I went back to England and the intention was to fly to Milan, coincidentally the first place that was shut in the whole of Europe because of COVID. And I was going to rent a car from Milan and I was going to drive back to Sheffield and call all these different places along the way. But that all got stopped. Also, the next plan was to finish my master's degree because I was doing that at the same time. That all got stopped. So instead of spending six months traveling around and finishing my master's degree, I spent six months in my parents' spare bedroom because they've also moved house. So it's not even my house anymore, you know. I don't exist, you know. So I felt like I was just staying in somebody's guest room for free, basically. But I came here and I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to be here. The plan was to be here for a year, but it came to Christmas time last year and I thought, yeah, things are still not going to change. I'm just going to extend my contract and stay another year. And what excited me actually was, it's like, okay, okay, Tashkent is not boring, but for a person who lived in Beijing for nine years, it's boring. And I think anybody who knows Beijing or knows China would agree with me on what I've just said, if they know both Beijing and Tashkent. But compared to Beijing, it's quite a boring place. However, for me, I can take this as like a pit stop. I thought to myself, okay, think of all the books that I've wanted to read, all the movies I've wanted to watch, all the podcasts I've wanted to listen to, maybe the courses that I've wanted to study. This is the time to do it. And I've had a couple of colleagues who are now friends complain to me, saying they're bored, they don't really know what to do, they feel lost. And I said, well, use this time as your opportunity to do those things that you were never able to do when you were, you know, having too much fun. Now, do that, because when you finally do return to wherever wherever it is you want to go to, you'll be happy that you did it, because you won't have time to be able to do those things, because you'll be too busy having fun, and you'll be too busy traveling and doing whatever it is you want to do. So use this time as a study break, basically. You know, and that's what got me excited. So going home, reading, exercising, you know, playing sports, all, all these kinds of things that I never had the chance to do because I was too busy working or I was too busy studying at the same time, whatever. That's what I'm doing now, and that's what's exciting. It's okay. a break. Okay. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is that what you have enjoyed so far about Tashkent is that it's given you an opportunity to have a calmer lifestyle yeah. where you could um, pursue 
some sort of non-social activities that Correct. you hadn't didn't have time to do previous, living Correct. in a more manic lifestyle exactly. gave you a chance to have a calmer, more reflective yeah. um, lifestyle. This this place is very relaxed, you know. Um, the only thing that seems to be erratic here is the taxi drivers. I find it so weird that such a calm place has such mad drivers, you know. That it seems to change people when they get behind the wheel in a car. But, um, yeah, because in Beijing, I was out every Friday and Saturday night, you know, and I was playing football on Saturdays. I was in a band. I was having barbecue with these friends on Friday. I was meeting friends in this bar on Saturday. Then during the week, I was going to networking events. And, you know, I never had a moment to sleep, but I loved it. Yeah. But it was catching up with me. You know, I'm approaching my mid-30s And I was going to say, that was during the bulk of your 20s, right? That was from... Pretty much 23 to 32. Okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah, 23 to 32. So that's literally 10 years. Okay. And yeah, I would live, I mean, there was regular nights where we would be in a club until 6 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and we would go straight to school afterwards. Oh, I, God. I hope my ex-colleagues or boss or students aren't listening to me say this, but, you know, that's what we did, and when I was 27, I could do it. Right. But when I'm 30, it's... The novelty of that is more of, yeah. Well, I still had fun because yeah. I still enjoyed meeting people. Yeah. But I was tired all the time. And it finally caught up with me. As I said, I had a heart attack oh because of God, it. Yeah. But, you know, now I've come here. Because, you know, when I was doing all those things, I was still studying. You know, I still got my teaching certificate. I was yeah. still doing my master's degree. I was, you know, I still got my Chinese and my Spanish certificates. Um, so I still was studying, but I never had a moment to be alone and to actually think, and there were still many things that I wanted to do, but I couldn't do it because I was just too busy doing all of these things. I've come here, and, you know, there's a much smaller expat community. However, it's actually starting to become larger, as you've noticed yourself already, because it takes positive people like you and me to gel people together and everything. Now that's starting to happen. Now, actually, recently, I've been complaining that I don't have enough free time to myself. Last night, I cancelled everything. I'm not going to meet anyone last night. I didn't, I'm not going to meet anybody tonight. I wanted to stay at home alone. So my old life was kind of coming back, but now I can say no and say, yeah. look, no, I promised myself I would do this. I'm going to stay at home and do this. You know, to find, you'd find some happy medium between Precisely. enjoying some social events and enjoying some other Precisely. other activities. and um, uh, Your self-time. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to uh, hijack the podcast because I talk about myself uh, every week, and I'm very interested to, to hear more about your story, but just want to quickly interject. Um, that's fascinating to me because where I lived in China was a small city. And see, compared to this, I think this is fantastic. Yeah. I think there's like tons of stuff to do here. I understand. And I think there's a... a significantly larger expat than what I was accustomed in accustomed gonna, to in China. So it's all meet, relative. You're going to meet people who are going to have really different um, opinions of yeah. Tashkent. Those who have come here by accident, which is a lot of us. Which is a lot, yeah. You know, we've all come from different places. So the first thing we're going to do is compare to where we've come from. So like, yeah. you know, every opinion I'm giving you is coming from somebody who lived in Beijing before. You, and enjoyed living in right, Beijing exactly. is a key point there. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And you've got to always take that into consideration when you listen to my answers and listen to my opinions, yeah. you know. Yeah. So that's important too. Yeah. Well, that is really, that's, um you know, the value of having a more meaningful conversation with someone is, you know, if we were just chatting and passing at a bar about what happened to school this week, I would have never known all that. And it's really Great. an interesting... Um, Great. You've got to take people's past into consideration, even yeah. if you don't need it. In, yeah. Excuse me, need it, in case you don't know it. Yeah, yeah. Because um, you've got to think, okay, if you don't know it, then you've got to think to yourself, okay he or she has experienced something that is making them feel this way. Yeah. You know, if you do know it, well, then obviously you can consider it when you listen to it. Yeah. And uh, that's a great uh, segue point. So, you know, as people have different experiences, different background, how they compare different things, then what their opinion of living in Tashkent is. So pivoting just slightly, um, then what have been... I, I try to frame it in a very... Um, 
a positive way to say, what has puzzled you about Tashkent? Which is just a diplomatic way of saying, you know, what has frustrated you or disappoint, disappointed you or however you want to, whatever type of adjective you want to put on it. What, what have been some of those uh, puzzling moments and frustrations? Nothing's puzzled me. Well, the only thing, the things that You said the driving. Well, okay. that. But, um, you know... The drive. Okay, so let's let's talk about driving in Tashkent. It's changed recently, actually. Yeah. Um, have you noticed that recently it's harder to get a taxi? Um, I live across the street from where I work, okay, so fine. I only need a taxi about three or four times a week. Okay. So, um, but I have heard others comment on that they have had more difficulties getting a taxi. Yeah, I have especially now. What I did recently. So I used to get paid 50% of my wage was in cash, 50% of my wage was in the bank. Nothing illegal going on, by the way, but that's how they did it. And was that all in local currency or yes. some of that was in, okay, it's, all that was all in local It's currency. the equivalent of X amount in US dollars, but it's given to you in, in, soon in local currency. And that worked for me because you paid for the taxi in cash. Like cash is still king here, definitely. And, but then, my work changed and now 100% goes into the bank. So I thought, oh dear, that means, you know, I'm short of cash quite often. Is that a local bank or a bank in the UK? Local bank. Oh, just paid a local bank. Yeah, okay. I, I don't send money to the UK. Okay. Um, for currency conversion reasons sure. and for charges and stuff like that. But that caused a problem because cash is so popular here. But I started to understand something when I went to my bank. I used to see people walking out with bricks of cash a little common thing um, that people might not know, but it was really common to see people walk around with sacks of cash, you know, and people still do it here. And that caused a problem. So what I did was I thought, okay, I, I looked on my Yandex, which is the um, taxi thing to order your Uber, and I changed it to pay by card. And that sorted me out in that way. And then suddenly, it suddenly became really hard to order taxis. Whereas before it used to take two minutes, it suddenly started taking 10 minutes for a taxi. I know 10 minutes is still not a very long time, but it was noticeable. You know, it's like, why is it suddenly so hard for me to get taxis? Because people didn't want to know, that, didn't want passengers who were paying by car? Well, that was my original theory. But then I found out that actually the standards have risen um, on Yandex because so many people were complaining about erratic driving and a lot of cars were crashing and stuff like that. People were getting into their cars, into their Ubers, and the cars were crashing and things like that, or they were complaining too much about the crazy driving. So what they actually did was they banned a lot of people from being able to become Yandex drivers. Oh, they booted some people. Exactly. Okay. So now what the actual problem is, there's actually literally just less taxis, you know. But this was also the time when I decided, you know, because you've got three selections. You've got your start, your standard, and your comfort. Like, these are the different options of taxis you can get. I used to just get the cheapest. But I was so sick of what happened. There was one day when there were no start and standards available. There was only comfort available. It was a dollar more. So I just opted to take the uh, comfort. And it was the nicest taxi ride I've been on in this country so far. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know what? It was worth a dollar. It costs a dollar. I'm just going to choose comfort every single time. Because we're literally talking, instead of $1.80, it's costing $2.10. Yeah, it, it was literally that every single time. So I take comfort from And is it, on. when they have the moniker comfort, is it solely referring to the type of vehicle or does it have something to do with the driver as both. well? It is well, both. From my personal experience, maybe other people have got different experiences, but first of all, the car is always bigger. Okay. You know, that's one thing. There's more leg room. The car's cleaner, you know, so that experience, first of all. But then second, the, the driver's, it's a lot smoother. He does, he's not weaving in and out of lanes. He's, you know, I've been in experiences where a car like cut him off and then for the next five minutes, my driver was trying to cut that guy off just to teach him a lesson. You know what I mean? And that annoyed me so much. And, you know, I ended up giving these people one stars. The great thing about giving them one star is that means that they can never accept your uh, request ever again. You know, that's one thing it does. So that was one of the things that was bothering me 
when I first got here. Because in Beijing, again, like I'm going to be mentioning Beijing a lot because, like I said, I'm always comparing my current experience to my past. Yeah. Or in Beijing, it's called Didi, as yeah, you know yeah. from China. Didi is the Uber. I never had one single bad experience ever in four years of using that app. The cars were always in perfect condition. Often you would have a TV in the back of the seat. People imagine China as being this third world place with, you know, people still carrying you on carriages with wheels and all that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, no, it's not. I'm sorry, but it makes the UK and the USA look like third world countries in some aspects. Depending yeah. on where you are in China. Correct, absolutely yeah. agree. Because yeah. like you said, you were in a small town. Yeah. You would have had different experiences to me. But as far as I'm concerned, I was in an episode of the Jetsons or something like that. I can <laughs> believe it. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is that some things that have been frustrating for you here are some things related to how the financial piece works and yeah. dealing with some how road, to order things road rage type issues yeah. and then ordering things say a little bit about that ordering things like you know i've never had a nice ex i'm sorry for complaining all the time but you know you've asked me what annoys me yeah. um ordering takeaway has has just been horrible experiences you know it takes over an hour for the food to arrive it always comes cold and it's expensive as well like in beijing it's cheaper to order takeaway you know, and the food would always come steaming hot within 20 minutes. One of my, you know, naughty pleasures, we'll call it, is Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings. I would order breakfast and then I'd lay in bed and watch ice hockey until about half past 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. I can't do that here. You know, it, it, that, that form of lifestyle just does not exist here. You know, people cook at home. Because people live in big families. Right. Yeah. I've yeah. noticed there's a lot a lot of cooking at home here. Right. It's exactly. what local people do. Exactly. You know? But in Beijing... This is not a takeout culture. Correct. Absolutely. And bearing in mind the takeout was invented by the Chinese. It's in their culture to do it. But everybody lives with families here. Let's be honest, it's only really the expats who kind of live alone. You know. Um, local people who were born and raised here live with families. Right. But in Beijing, a place like Beijing... Uh, you get some of everybody. Correct, yeah. exactly. And, and a lot of people live alone or they live with flatmates and yeah. that kind of stuff. Maybe where you lived, it was a bit more family-oriented. But um, especially in Beijing, it's like the reason why there's so many apartments is because there's so many people who live alone. Because they've yeah. moved there for their jobs. Precisely. Right. And, and you know that because when Chinese New Year comes... They all leave. <laughs> correct. And it goes from 27 million down to about 12 million Oof. in literally the space of two days. Right. You know, so you realise, okay, this is actually how many people are migrating basically to work there. Yeah. But that's not really happening in Tashkent. So most people don't go out, you know, for a quick bite to eat in a cafe and stuff like that. Like I said, it's foreigners. Yeah. who do it or people who have moved from a different city to Tashkent but most of them usually go home for the weekends because it's just so cheap and easy it's yeah. only a two-hour train ride yeah you know well that is certainly a lot of lot of thoughtful observations and um, comparisons there and you know you mentioned uh feeling feeling guilty complaining but uh you know why I structure the podcast this way is um that I think it's important to evaluate both sides of the coin. Absolutely. That, you know, particularly on social media, you know, it's easy to see a photo, a group photo of people smiling. Right. And you say, oh, look at those people. They're having a wonderful time. No, that's a photo. Correct. And that, you know, what's what's going on behind that and the, the duality of, you know, the duality of both, both issues. A really so, famous blogger yeah. came here a few months ago. I don't know what his name is. He's... An Indian-American guy. I've seen him before. I've seen him a number of times. And he's always paid to make public appearances at places. Have you heard of a new university? It's called the University of the People. Um, I have seen job postings. Right. It's a free university. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he was the guy that was like... I'm sure there's been many, but I saw his advert of him talking about it and stuff like that. Well, he recently came to Uzbekistan just before the summer, like just before it got really, really hot. And I don't like the guy. He's so bloody positive. Oh, and God. It, and, it, and it's a lie. You know, right. it, it's like Instagram. Right. You know, there are just too many people posting their successes, but not, you know, posting about the failures and, you know, the trauma that goes behind these successes. 
So he comes here, it's like, look, Uzbekistan is a pretty cool place. And I would definitely recommend, especially for someone who's never lived abroad before, if you want to come and teach English for a year or something like that, I think it would be a good start, to be honest with you. Because it's not as crazy as a place like China or something like that. Um, but what he did was he came here and he made it look like heaven. And I don't like it when I see things like that, not because I'm your typical um, negative Englishman, but it's because that's not the truth. You know, what, and it, what, it misleads people. Precisely. And what you're, you're either, you're going to get people excited, but you're potentially setting them up for a powerbomb kind of thing. You, set, you, you could be con possibly lifting them up to slam them down on the canvas really hard. Exactly. You know? Then it's raised everybody's expectations. Precisely. They're going to get here and they're going to Precisely. realize that was not accurate. Exactly. Yeah. And that is going to lead to people hating the place. You know, yeah. when it's actually nobody's fault, you know, yeah. except the person who's talking. But, you know, you can't, you know, it's like a travel brochure. You've got to understand that those pictures are have, pictures. Correct. And they've been, and they've been heavily edited and photoshopped yeah. or whatever you want to call it. It's like, that's, people just, look, we're just not smart enough to understand that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's something I have to monitor myself on a lot. When Correct. I'm reading on social media, I have to really remind myself. I just don't that. go on social media anymore. I've given up. Okay. Like, like my Instagram. I need to build my Instagram for my book, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. But at the moment, I have something like 50 followers and that's it. Yeah. But I know that they're actually organic followers. They're, you know. they're, they're your friends, yeah. No, they're organic. They're, oh, oh friends. Okay. they're people who have seen my posts and they genuinely find but, it interesting. Yeah. You know, none of them are friends or anything. Oh, 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 okay. Maybe a couple of I would say five at the most a are actual okay. friends. And one of them being my mom. <laughs> you know. But like it's because I'm posting the honest truth, you know. A few people have accused me of um you know, I, I had a a load of people attacked me on LinkedIn, which was funny, a few years ago. Um, because I post the honest truth. It's like, look, things are nice, but there's also some horrific things that are going to happen to you in life, and you have a choice. You either make it good for yourself or you don't. You know, And that's what we have to consider when we move to another country. Yeah. Let's, let's use that as our segue point. So with your um, experience living in different countries and with your enthusiasm for living in different countries, that motivated you to write a book that's a guide for foreigners of how to be success overseas? No. So, oh, oh, it's not? Okay. Well, re it, reframe that for us. It, it didn't motivate me. It, a lot of people were telling me I should. Because, okay. And I always, I was like, 28 or maybe even 27 and people started saying to me you should start writing a book um, because of all the advice I could give people and it wasn't advice I was given it was just, I'm just talking you know words are just coming out of my mouth I'm not even really thinking about what I'm speaking mm -hmm. but people would say it's like you need to start jotting this down you need to start taking notes because you could actually turn this into a really good book and I just never took it seriously because I thought the, the thing that always stopped me was I'm not old enough and I'm not experienced enough to actually give people good advice. I don't feel worthy to give people my advice. You know, it's like, why would anybody want to listen to me? I'm young and I'm not very experienced. You know, usually people who write books are usually 50 years old and they're grey and they've done all these things and everything. It's like, I'm just a 28 year old that's just kind of been going with the wind basically but picking up all these experiences along the way to help myself not to help other people you know obviously i like to help other people but i wasn't learning it also i could become a speaker or anything like that you know but then once i got stuck in england and i started speaking to lots and lots of different people and i started to realize actually i do have a lot more experience than other people and i also realized that people were still coming to me because I thought as soon as I got stuck out of China, people are going to stop talking to me because I've disappeared. Like, I'm not there anymore. And this is one thing that somebody needs to learn when they live abroad is as soon as you're gone, you're forgotten. You're in people's memories and stuff like that, but people don't speak to you anymore because you're not there. You know, unless you start, show, unless you continue to show up to the quiz nights or, you know, 
the events and stuff like that, you'll be forgotten very, very quickly because life is just so fast when you live abroad. And what I noticed was people were still coming to me. In fact, when I was on the, in the taxi coming here, a person messaged me from Beijing because she's doing her teaching certificate at the moment. She's received feedback from her tutor. She's asked me if I would take a look at it and give her some advice. This is somebody I've not seen for two years, you know, but we still talk. So clearly I'm still important to people. And that's when I started thinking, okay, I'm going to start writing things now because clearly people want this advice. So I'll give it to them. You know, you know and I, I actually would disagree with one point that you made there that, um, that when you leave those relationships in, but I, don't know, I might be mm -hmm. quoting that not, not accurately, feel free to correct me, that my experience has been um, that, you know, if people, you know, there's different categories of people that you, is somebody a casual acquaintance or someone who's a close right. friend, but the people who fall in the category of close friend actually transcend geography and that whether that's my friends at home or mm -hmm. friends in other countries, that we are still friends and they just live in my pocket. Right. So, um, but but you're right. But those those day to day interactions. I think what do I'm what end. I'm talking about is yeah. your, as you said, casual acquaintances. Yeah. I call them drinking buddies. Right, right, yeah. right. Because there are obviously some people who I still keep in contact with. I just obviously don't talk to them as much as I used to right. because I'm not there. Because the you're not city, there. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Or, you know, was it that the thing you had in common was your English teachers in Beijing who go to the same bar? You Correct. Know? Yeah. And I mean, those are valuable relationships. you play relations. football with each other once They're, a month. Once play football once a month. I mean, those are those relationships have value too. I'm not Correct. minimizing that. But Correct. it's a, a different category. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. Okay. So, um, so, you know, and I think, I think these concepts sort of blend together whether you're giving someone advice or sharing your experience mm -hmm. I think those are are inter are intertwined yeah, yeah. and that's actually what I'm trying to do because I thought yeah. okay there's been thousands of books I'm sure on living abroad or how to be an English teacher mm -hmm. but the ones that I've seen have all been so dull and dry and boring and stuff like that and I'm just like why would anybody want to read this? It's like, if, if somebody's going abroad, you want to get them pumped up, you want to get them excited. Yeah. You know? And so I decided, okay, I'm going to list all the important pieces of advice I want to give to people, but I want to share it via a funny story. Yeah. Or a horror story, whatever, yeah. you know? So basically, the whole book is a collection of stories. And, you know, I guess it's kind of like a fable. Each story is a fable. You, you're given a piece of advice through this story. Yeah. So basically it's, I give you this advice and this is the reason why I'm giving it to you. Because this once happened. Yeah. You know. That, that sounds very, 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 very useful. So it sounds like that you are motivated a lot by opportunities to help people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, be with people, not help them, but... Yeah, but just, be service-oriented, uh, yeah, want just, people to have a good experience. Just and... be with people, you know, right. that, I think that's the thing. And, you know, my granddad was the same. He would be in the bar every single night, seven nights a week. And it was to meet people. And I said to him, why would you go to the same bar every single night? He said, well, you meet different people every single night because you have your Monday crowd, your Tuesday crowd, your Wednesday oh. crowd. And that's how he started his business. You know, he was an electrician. Yeah. He met his customers just by having a drink with them at the bar. Yeah. You know, he would do a little job for them. Then they would pass his name on to somebody else and soon he was one of the biggest, you know, electricians in Sheffield. And it was literally just from socialising yeah. and just getting to know people and building relationships. And that's pretty much what I've done. Like, an interesting little fact, I never had one job interview in China. The whole time I was there, every single job I got was from networking right? and just right. my name being passed along and stuff like that. Right. When I had my job interview for here, yeah. I was really nervous because this was my first interview in nine years. I, I couldn't remember what to do. It's like, also it's via Zoom yeah. as well. Actually it was Skype. But um, I did, I, like, where do I sit? Do Can I be naked from the waist down? Like, <laughs> I these kinds of things. Because it was all from networking and everything, and that's where all my experiences have actually come from. It's just by meeting people and building some kind of relationship with them. Yeah. And an interesting little thing is I've been able to speak with somebody from literally every country 
in the world, you know, and that's really cool. I've right. learned a lot that's, from people. That's, that's fascinating and really, you know, just looking for opportunities to build community and relationships right. and use that to really get the most out of life, yeah, you know, absolutely. live the best life you can, as tried as that sounds, you know, but it... It does, but people notice it when it exists. Like, for yeah. example, um, my football team in Beijing was called International Village Football Club. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason why we were called that is because all the other football teams, I'll not name them, they were all a particular group of people. So, for example, there was a group of Russians. There was a group of Spanish there was a group of expats. There was a group of Chinese. But we were everything. You know, we had English, Irish, American, Chinese, yeah. Japanese. You know, we were everybody. And that's why we called ourselves IVFC, International Village Football Club. <laughs> and I remember, you know, we, we'd always play every Saturday morning, well, 11 till 1. And, um, you know, people would walk past and you can hear the, the local Chinese saying, about the they're a group of international people, like there's Chinese people, there's English, there's foreign people. Who is that? Is what really, is that about? Yeah, it's like, and local people would just stand there and just watch, you know, like all these different cultures just playing football together. Yeah. You know? And that's what I've always liked, and that's what I've always preferred to be around. Obviously, I do like meeting other people who have a similar background to me. But I feel much more comfortable when I'm at a table of 10 people from 10 different countries speaking a mixture of two or three different languages. I just feel that that's right in a way. I feel more comfortable in that situation. Okay, cool. Okay, so that got us a little bit about the uh, story behind writing the book and sort of its format of how it's laid out. And... So as you have been in the, the process of writing that book, what have been some puzzling moments or some challenges or frustrations in, in that process? So the first, it's also like I realized how much anger I have. <laughs> like, <laughs> some China rage? No, yeah. It's yes. Like, like just think, because obviously I had to think about things that have happened in the past in order to put it into a story that will teach a lesson. So I've had to go into, you know, this this is how I felt that, you know, like, I don't know, the time when I was almost living on the streets in Hong Kong or the time when I woke up in Poland when I was having a night out in Beijing. These things, like, yes, that's right. <laughs> I got drunk in Beijing and woke up in Warsaw. But like, you know, they were actually the frustrations. It was like, God, what a bunch of dicks I was with. Or, and so like, that's what was, excuse me if I'm using bad language on no, the podcast. We can use it but but um, they were the frustrations. It was just having to remember. Because these were things that just happened and you just simply move on. But now I actually have to get them down onto paper. And, and what like did that. you learn from those things? And Precisely. what could other people learn yeah, from Yeah, I realize that I'm still actually learning from them now. You know, sure. Even eight years later. Sure. And I started getting frustrated about how things work in the UK. It's like how far behind they are and stuff like that with the rest of the world. Um, they were the frustrations, just having to bring back memories that I thought I'd, you yeah. know, buried kind of thing and never had to return to. Right. But is that not the point of a, a kind of biography book, I guess you would call it? Yeah. Know? Well, you know, what it brings to mind is, I don't know uh, how familiar you are with Brene Brown, uh-huh. uh, that um, there's things I like about her, there's things I like more than others, mm-hmm. but, you know, that being vulnerable and to, you know, share about, you know, mistakes or lessons learned, and, you know, even though, you know, that can be, you know, embarrassing or hurtful to have to go back and relive mistakes that we made but though as we you know share more of that you know it's um it's a it's a releasing of the shame and embarrassment and frustration because we've all made lots of big mistakes and just to burst that open and examine it and learn from it you know, helps other people 
Absolutely. to not feel so um, haunted by their past Correct. demons and mistakes that they've made. Well, they always say the greatest way to learn is from other people's mistakes. Yeah. Because it meant you lost nothing. Right. You know, Let's try to learn it. that lesson through other people. Exactly. Yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely had a lot of those. Both sides. Lessons I've learned on my own and lessons Absolutely. I've learned from other people. You know, yeah. I think a great thing about a book where people are sharing their personal experiences is, um, you know, you've gone through a lot of pain for other people. Yeah. And the people reading it can say, oh, thank God I did not have to go through that myself. Right. I hope right. I learned from it. Right. Yeah, or at least you hope they'll learn from it. Right. You know? Right, right. There are just some things that we just can't learn without going through it. Right. Yeah. And some people are more open to learning from other experiences, and some people are, oh, no, that won't happen to me. Oh, exactly. no, I've got it under control. I'm exactly. fine. You know? Oh, I was definitely that person. Once. Yeah. I truly yeah. believed I could fly. You know? Oh, yeah. You know, but yeah. um, things, as you get older, you start to understand. You're humbled a few times and things right. like that, you know. Being locked out of China, and I think a lot of people might say this if they actually truly a very think about humbling it. experience. Yeah, because you realise you can't just get on a flight and go somewhere. Yeah. You know? So I've pretty much not travelled for the past two years now, partly because I don't want to because of the difficulty of travelling. Yeah. Way. And even just going for a week's break somewhere now is not the relaxing experience what it was because now you have to get your PCR check. Yeah, you've got to. Make sure that you've got the right documentation and all this kind of stuff. You obviously needed the right documentation before, but you need it. It's heightened, yeah. Correct. Um, you know, I was talking to my mum last night. She asked me, are you going to go anywhere for Christmas or New Year? I said I thought about it, but I'll be honest with you. It's like, I don't want to because it just does not sound like a nice it's experience. A right, precisely. And to tag back to the beginning of our conversation that, you know, one change has been... People who formerly liked to travel a lot don't, don't have had to say, you know what, I'm going to have to embrace the staycation. Yeah, and, and that's definitely me. And I, I've, I've found myself in that situation as well. Yeah, yeah. that's definitely me. I've been yeah. to 20 countries at this point. Excuse me, 21 countries at this point. Yeah. 21 if you include Uzbekistan. Yeah. And, you know, 10 years ago, I was still all for getting to like 50 countries before I'm dead and stuff like that. Now I'm just like, I do not care anymore. So I'll happily just read about it. Yeah. You know, that, that's the point I've got to now because of this. Yes. Uh, well, uh, if we start the count from when I left the United States um, in 2015, I've also been to 20 countries. Really? <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, let me not get us too far off track with that conversation. But, um, but what I realized living here is... You know, when I was living in Southeast Asia and other traveling I did, that kind of was going to be more about the country count and seeing a bunch of different countries. That mm -hmm. Oh, no, this is the Uzbekistan experience. I will be seeing Uzbekistan right. in this region. I'm here to see Uzbekistan, yeah, period, end of discussion. Right. And uh, I am, quick sidebar, um, I am contractually obligated that I cannot leave the country during the school year. Oh, really? So for reasons too complicated to explain uh, in this exact moment. But uh, but yeah, so I really am going to have to just embrace seeing this country. Why are you period. contractually obligated to well, stay here? Um, my school is owned by the government uh -huh. is the answer I've been given. Okay, I don't really think that's a proper explanation. No, I think it's, it's an answer. Yeah. But just for every school has its quirks. And the quirkadoodle of this one is that we are not permitted to leave the country during the school year. Very well. So, um, which was a, a big negative when I decided to, to take this. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I just kind of had to look at no contract is perfect, and for a year, I was willing to, to yeah. do that for a year. All of my, I've, I've only ever had one really strange obligation that I've had to sign, and it was I'm not allowed to get pregnant. Oh, well, um, I'm sure that was a big my, challenge for you. Well, my response was challenge accepted. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, cool, okay, so we've, you know, we've heard a lot about, you know, the, the bebopping around you did that led you here, the long stint in Beijing and how that really influenced your opinion, uh, and how um, your desire to share your experiences with other people. So let's tie up some of these topics and tell us about how long do you plan to stay in Tashkent? It's a great question. 
I've actually already been offered a job in Beijing. Ah, which, okay. Which I've accepted. Oh, you okay? You think this year? You think you'll be two years in Tashkent and then go back to Beijing? Is well, your plan? Everybody who knows about this so far, yeah, uh, you know, all said so. When are you leaving? And I said, well, just because I've signed a piece of paper doesn't mean I'm doing anything. China. Um, my first lesson I learned in China was a contract is a piece of paper. Correct. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, that's every country I've worked in. Every country. You know, yeah, except, that's why. Except Ireland. Okay. You know. I don't want to say it, but English-speaking countries seem to be very far ahead when it comes to sticking by okay. what you have to do. You're paid on time. You pay your taxes correctly. Um, they will also make sure that you never do anything which is outside of your contract. It's, in my personal opinion, actually, from being abroad and stuff like that, I think it actually holds them back. Um, sometimes you do have to use people <laughs> to be able to move forward. Well, I mean, yeah. it, it, it depends on what it is, or if somebody's willing to do something. Correct, but, exactly. Okay. So what is your discernment process into whether or not you will accept the position in Beijing? And is that for next school next school year? Correct, yeah. Okay. I've already accepted it. Okay. But will I be able to get there? Okay. You know, that, that's what I'm telling people. So I said, look, I don't really want to talk about it, to be honest with you. Like, a few friends have already messaged me saying, you know, because there are some things. For example, my friend still has my drum kit. And I'm looking forward to one day being reunited with that drum kit because I do miss her. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, they're all talking like this. A few friends who I played football with saying, you know, we're going to get together, we're going to have a football game. And I just said, look, I don't really want to talk because I don't want to get all hyped up because it's already happened once already. You know, two years ago it happened. It could easily happen again. So I'm just saying, it's like, look, I've signed this piece of paper. Um, you know, these are my plans. I'm working to get all the paperwork together and everything. But I'm very, very open to staying here another year because of the situation, basically. You know, you have to be open-minded like that now. Three years ago, we would not have been talking like this. I'd already be Amen. saying, well, I'm already gone. Yeah. Mentally. Yeah. You know, but now it's just like, look. I'm, all plans are solved. Right, precisely. I'm, I'm not making any plans. Yeah. All I'm saying is like, look, it depends what way the wind blows tomorrow and I'll go that way. Yeah. Because that's all I can do now. I This will end eventually and it will end in our uh, lifetime. This will end, what's the this? Coronavirus. The, okay, okay. The, the, uh, the COVID situation. Yeah. Will it end soon? I don't know. I, I'm not a scientist, but um, I do believe it is going to end, you know, within the next couple of years and we will be able to travel the way we traveled before. I remain positive about that, but I don't know when. So all I'm doing is I'm just going by how things go, you know, okay. and everybody I've spoken to, I said, look, let's see how the situation is in May, you know, and then we'll see. And it could be a a hell of a trip getting there or it could be an incredible and reason. it could be 14 days in the hotel when you arrive oh it will be 14 days no in a, it will be a month oh it will be a month in a hotel uh, when you arrive. in china yeah. different parts are doing different things yeah. so in beijing you got to stay there for a month okay. uh, but if you live in i have a friend who went to chengdu mm -hmm. he didn't fly directly to chengdu he went to hainan first yeah so he had to spend two weeks in hainan yeah and then he flew to chengdu and then he had to spend two weeks at home you know, so different places, different yeah. things, you know. But in my case, this is what I've been told anyway. You will have to arrive in Beijing and you'll have to spend a month there. Now is a month, is it a February month or is it a July month? I don't know. Is it 28 days or is it 31 days? Like, Or is it four solid weeks? I don't know. And, and when we, yeah. when, what we're referring to is having to go stay in the quarantine hotel where you do not leave and your food is brought in. Just want to make sure we're uh, clarifying for you. Yeah, there's different types of quarantine that. because I did yeah. quarantine here. Yeah. Did you? Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this American idiom, but I'm going to plead the fifth on that. Go on. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I spent 10 days in a quarantine hotel here. That was not required at the time I arrived. Uh -huh. yeah. It was when I, but well, I came here at the heights. Right, you know, right. I, I came here in August 2002. 20. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it was still chaos. Like, the world still didn't yeah, know yeah. how to handle this. There was no such thing as a vaccine at that point. Right. You know? um, it was only just being talked about. 
So we spent 10 days in this quarantine hotel. I'll be honest with you, it was actually quite fun. I quite enjoyed it. I've heard... Laid around and watched movies for 10 well, days, the thing yeah? Is we were allowed out of our room. I don't know if I should be telling this. Oh, I was like, okay. I don't know if I should be telling this, but the truth is I came with two female colleagues. One of them I'd actually been friends with for a number of years. Okay. So I already had her. Okay. And then another one joined us like halfway. We met uh, We met in Belarus. So you had so there were, Yeah, so there were three of us and we're all yeah. on the same floor and we could go out whenever we wanted. And I used to, I was, see, this is the funny thing. Yeah. People are talking about they're getting fat during quarantine and everything. It's like, yeah. I lost weight. So because, bad, yeah. Yeah, because I went into the courtyard. I would just stick a podcast on. Yeah. I was literally walking 20 kilometers and I was just walking backwards and forwards in this courtyard. People could send us beer and cigarettes and KFC and, you know, we, we had a part. And also um, one of the, the girls, it was her birthday. So we called somebody because she knew somebody here. Yeah. And we asked, like, can you send us, like, you know, some burgers and some beers and some wine and stuff like that so we can celebrate her birthday? Yeah. We had a party, you know. I will <laughs> so tell you, any of my friends who have had to quarantine in China, that has not been their experience. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they didn't leave their room for four weeks. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I know the, the same thing. It's like yeah. my friend, he, he got stuck in Bangkok. He was uh -huh. just on holiday. He was only supposed to be going to Bangkok for two weeks. He ended up there for six months. And yeah. he finally got back into China. But he was living in Beijing, but he could only get as far as Shanghai. So he flew from Bangkok to Shanghai. He spent four weeks in a room in Shanghai. Yeah. And then he'd have to get a flight to Beijing after that. <sighs> you know, it's like... Yeah. And also, that he paid for it. My okay. quarantine was paid for. Okay, I think you my know. friends in China paid for their own. Yeah. Right, precisely. Maybe, uh, maybe their school paid for some? I'm not quite sure. But in my case, my school said they will pay for my for, quarantine. For part of it, okay. Yeah, but he didn't. Definitely yeah. not. Yeah. You know, he was still working though. He was still teaching online and everything. So he was still getting his wage. I know people who just lost their jobs. Right. You know, they just cut the contracts and that was it. Right, right. Um, so it sounds like, to wrap us up here, so it sounds like your future of how long you will stay in Tashkent is a little bit unknown at this point and Correct. depending on what happens in Beijing. Correct. And then uh, wind us up, give us a uh, last last final word, uh, last few thoughts of the podcast of how long do you plan to continue living overseas? Forever. Okay. I'm never returning to England. <laughs> <laughs> I I decided when I was about 14 that I would live abroad. Forever. Forever. Yeah. Okay. And it's never changed. Okay. And, okay. In fact, okay. it's only gotten stronger. Okay. You know, it, it's addictive. It's a drug. Sure. You know, and you do get addicted to the experience of being away from home. And eventually you start to realize, you start to question where is home. Oh, I was going to say, then what is home? You know, yeah. And home is whatever you make. You yeah. know, and as far as I'm concerned, as long his when I go abroad... Yeah. To live. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I always do is I make sure that I have a comfortable apartment mm -hmm. with everything that I need. And when I say everything that I need, yeah. inside it has a bed, it has my laptop with the internet and my phone, and that's all I need inside my apartment. And it, you know, it's nice and warm and all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> exactly. But then outside, you've got a few friends, you've got a stable job with money coming in. And, the, and you can save. You've got supermarket shops and you've got a place to drink some beers with some people sometimes. As far as I'm concerned, that's home. Yeah. You know, that's all I need. And people may say, well, that's okay for you now. So, yeah. But, I've but been, you've been at this for a while I've been, now. I've been yeah. living like this for 12 years now. Yeah. I can't see it changing too much. You yeah. Know, unless I get married and have a family and stuff like that and then things are going to change, obviously. But, um... At this moment in time, so I'm satisfied living that way, and I don't, I can't see it changing, but I can see some things changing it, but I can't see it changing anytime soon. What your feeling is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, Anthony Jennings, and no, I am not mispronouncing his name. That is Anthony. It has no H in it. It's a very it. old English name. Old English name, Anthony Jennings, J E N N I N G. Yes. Uh, if anyone listening would like to get more information about your book or connect with you in some way, um, how shall they reach out to you? Instagram is probably the best way, but I'm not really talking about the book. I'm talking about parts of the book that I do for it. 
the thing that I've been talking mostly about is I celebrate these really stupid holidays. Okay. Hence, hence the reason why I brought you some cake today. Yes, International today, Cake Day. International Cake Day. Yeah. And I do this just to basically be a bit happier. Yeah. You know. Just a little novelty. Exactly. So every single month we've got like three or four special days that we're celebrating. So this month is International Cake Day, November. First of all, we have Bonfire Night in England, Guy Fawkes Night. You've obviously got Thanksgiving. Oh. And then we've got International Cake Day, and they were the, the three holidays. But then there's other stupid holidays. There's like Cheese Pizza Day, which was a couple of months ago. There's Gummy Worm Day, okay. <laughs> which we'll be celebrating in August. You know, the Country Music Day, which you'll like. Oh, well, well I'm not, not familiar with that. Yeah, well, that sounds, you know, very interesting. And lots of those little novel things to celebrate in your very interesting life. Well, I have learned a lot about you personally today and your experience and that the time we have spent together today has been, you know, very valuable. Thank you. And, um, yeah, so this concludes this episode of Who's Bekistan? And if you've enjoyed listening to this today, please uh, share this out to any, any friends and it's available on all platforms. See you next time. Bye-bye.